refuse to let their actions do the talking for them. They just do all the lip service. So tonight we're going to be jumping into that. And I'm so stinking stoked because, uh, again, every single one of these uh, series we go through, God just totally rocks me. And um, so if you have a Bible, turn to James chapter 2. And uh, we're going to jump into verse 14 is where we left off. And we're just going to finish out chapter 2. Verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was it not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the Christian and the, the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So, Father, we just commit tonight to you. We commit this word, this truth. Lord, I pray that every word that would proceed from my mouth, Lord, would be from you. Lord, that anything that would be of me would not come out and be silent. And, uh, Lord, that we would just absorb your word, your truths. Lord, that it would be convicting to our hearts. And, God, that you would completely have us own, Lord, the truth that would be revealed to us tonight. We don't want to be a generation that dodges the truth, that dodges, God, the convictions of our hearts. So, Lord, let us take it head on and let us apply it and let us be mobilized and moved by it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we go through the, the word, I like to kind of break it down, and we're going to go through this uh, one more time. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but no deeds? If you believe in, in Jesus, if you believe that you've been transformed and redeemed, then you are a Christian, right? Well, I think here's the issue is that a lot of us look at Christian as maybe a label. And tonight I want to tell you that it's not a label. It's not a category. It's not a section of culture. The word Christian is a description of you. When we call ourselves Christians, it's not supposed to be a category. It's like... I'm from Sacramento. It is, it is nothing. It's supposed to describe who you are. The word Christian is referring to be Christ-like. Are you Christ-like? It's saying, what good is it if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? What, is, what good is your faith if no one knows about it, if no one can see it from your actions? It's, it's referring to, is there a description about you that people would say, that person is not the average man, that he's been transformed, that he's been been redeemed by the living God. And here, here's the deal, too, is that I know that a lot of, uh, of us, we believe that this is the, a foundation for us to go out into the world and to be world changers. 
both locally and nationally and hopefully globally and all those things. And so here's the deal is that you cannot be a world changer if you just have faith. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't matter what you believe. You're not going to change squat by just what you believe and never letting it flow through your life. And so he's saying, what good is it for you to say that you're a world changer but not change people in the world? That doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do you any good to say, I'm a believer. I'm going to, you know, do these things. or I'm going to behave this way but never do it. So he's calling us out. Verse 15 through 17. So suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action is dead. So the thing that rung true for me on this is when uh, you hear somebody, right? And you hear something is like really going bad. And you're like, oh man, oh that's, oh that's terrible. Oh, you know, it's like my dog got run over, you know, my car lit on fire, my, you know, whatever it is. You know, you, you have everything that happened to you and in the, the entire DNA of you being redeemed by the living God, you come up and you boldly toe the line and you say, I'll pray for you. Have a nice day. You know, and you go back. Like, what, what good is that? Or, or I, I like it too, is like, you kind of say, God bless you, you know? You kind of wave it afar. I'll, I'll pray for you. God bless you. I won't bless you, but someone else hopefully will. But, you know, they will bless you. So, you know, how about that? And, and, and Paul here is, is saying, we do the same thing, don't we? No way is that we see a need. What good is it if we see someone has a need, a, a profound need, and we know that we have in the power of ourselves to do something. We said, go on, be well, be well fed, and God bless you. And do nothing about it when you have the total power to do it. Does that not convict you at all? Does that not convict you when you hear that something is going on and the best that you can do is offer, I'll pray for you? I know I've done it my entire life. And why do we do it? It's because it gives us a really good, feel-good Christianese way of like separating ourselves out from doing anything. It makes us feel like we are going to do something that is significant, but it really isn't. And I'll tell you why it's not that significant. Because I'm going to call you out that most of you, when you say that, you never go back and pray for them. Just be honest. I never did. I had a, a, a gal come up to me a, a month or two ago, and she said, oh, I'm going to be, you know, leaving. I'm going to go to Modesto. I'm going to join this. I mean, she's totally stepped out in faith. I mean, she was totally moved and said, I, I got to go and, and change the course of my life, and I got to go over here and do this. And so... And she's like, if you can be praying for me. I said, yeah, I'll definitely be praying for you. And she started to walk away. I was like, wait, 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 hold on. You know, I've, I've made it a personal vow in the past year. If I say I'm going to pray for you, I'm either going to do it right here and there with you, even for 10 seconds, or if I get a text that says, hey, I need prayer, I have a personal conviction that if I say I will pray for you, I'll stop what I'm doing, and I'll pray for them. And here's how it goes. Text message. Man, I really need prayer today. I'll tell you later. Lord... Be with Joe right now. Whatever he's going through, I pray that you would invade his space, Lord, that you take care of this, that you'd move him, bless him, God, provide provision, whatever is about him, bring him restoration to you. Jesus' name, amen. Like 15 seconds, right? And I'm giving you like the easy way out. But I'm just saying that, that in here is a text that's saying when we have a need, when we see someone that comes up, we have a tendency as Christians to, to put a wall, a facade that says we'll pray for you because it's going to separate us. And the same thing with the God bless you. When you say God bless you, do you realize that you have it in the power of your existence to be that blessing? 
When you say, God bless you, you're typically referring to someone else will bless you, not me. Because God doesn't just descend like, oh, here I am. Oh, and now I'm blessed. Thank you, God. You know, that doesn't happen typically. Typically, God uses other people to bless other people. And the awesome thing about this is when we've been transformed in our hearts and God speaks to us is that we get to be clued in on when he wants to bless somebody and when he wants to use us to be that blessing. When there's a need, we get a physical choice and we get to decide if it's in our power, I get to choose whether or not I will be this person's blessing or not. That's how we get to look at it. If we have the power in us to help somebody and we see a need and we don't do it, that, that can be okay in certain circumstances, but we've got to be mindful that there's a, a shift in our mind that says we have an opportunity to do something, but we'll choose not to, for whatever reason. It's a higher calling. It's a much higher calling than, than you'll hear anywhere else. When we know that we have the power to do good and meet a need, and we don't do it, or we separate the wall, and we refuse to get involved, that is when our faith gets called. It says, I've provided the needs for you, there's a need in front of you. You know that you can help in some small capacity. I challenge you to step forward. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So what this is saying is that, you know, have you ever heard someone says, well... I don't want to get involved. I just really feel called to pray for somebody. You know? Or maybe you have someone that's like a really good hard worker, and they'll, they'll go anywhere to serve and do anything, but they will refuse to have a relationship to any capacity of any depth or relevancy, both within the church and with other Christians. And they're like, well, I just, I just feel called to, you know, to swing a hammer. I just, I just want to do that. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to pray. I don't want to do anything. And you have the opposite of people who want to sit in the peanut gallery, Right? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't say we have different worlds. It says we have a melding of both our faith and our actions. It doesn't matter if you, if you love to pray, that's awesome. Pray to your heart's content. If that is your strength, go for it. But that should never come at the exclusion of actually putting some rubber to the road and, and meeting the needs and to getting ourselves involved. And we'll talk about what that looks like tonight, being involved. But it's, it's a... It's a question I wrestle with because let's hypothetically say that, and I know that we live in America and it's hard to, to fathom this, but let's say that you are all of a sudden thrown in jail for being a Christian. And you are put on trial. And people are going to build a case against you. Would there be enough evidence to convict you that you're a Christian? Think about that. Think of your life right now. If what you're doing, what you're saying, where you're going, who you do life with, what, what your life entails, is there enough evidence there to convict you guilty of being a Christian? Remember, Christian is a job description. It's not what you believe. Because how is someone going to bring evidence against, you, against what you believe unless they've seen what you believe? Evidence is the material, the physical, the representation to declare a verdict upon you. Would you be convicted? I can say to this tree... I can take Nathan over here, and, and we can go through, and, and I, can, I can point to this tree, and I can say, that's, that's an apple tree. How would you know? How would you know, right? You're going to look for the apples on it, right? I mean, if, if I say it's an apple tree, we assume that there's going to be apples from there. If you're a Christian, we're going to assume that we're going to do Christ-like things. We don't want to just meddle down our, our faith just to be people who just believe. We want to be people that actually show it. I have a, uh, um, 
a business mentor and spiritual mentor of mine, and he's like, I'm just tired of all these wussy Christians. He's like, what are these, what are these people doing? Like, they're just mediocre. They're just like, I just want to be an average Christian. I don't do anything great, and I just don't want to suck. I just kind of want to be like right there. <laughs> just kind of barely skate into heaven. He's like, why not, why don't we have the heart and the mindset to become Olympic athletes of Christians? Why don't we have that mindset that we would train and prepare and to beat our body in submission and to, to go at it the best that we can? So I do this mountain biking thing, and every single week, I, like, I finish the race, I'm like, I'm never doing this again, this thing sucks. Because it's such a beatdown of a physical labor. And I, I'm sitting there, and it, the whole entire time is like, just walk, just walk, just get off the bike and just walk. No one will see, no one cares. And I like, in the mindset is like, do I want to be the guy who just like finishes a race, goes home to my wife, how'd you do? And it's like, oh, I walked the finish line. Or do I want to like do my best, have heartburn afterwards, completely blow out, and just like, I did it. I still finished seventh. It's terrible. But at least I didn't give up. You know, like I want us to have a mindset that each week we'd be coming here and, and we're training. It doesn't mean that you are prepared now to run the race, but we come in here and we have a mindset that we're supposed to be progressing and developing and strengthening ourselves. I love that, that we become Olympic athletes of our faith. Verse 25, or verse 20 through 25. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Everyone say, God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off into a different direction? We'll hold off there. See, the, the interesting thing is that we said that, that uh, God's friend is that faith, the role of faith is to build the connection between us and God so that we would hear from God. That is the only role from, of faith is to develop that personal connection and that that. Uh, uh, that red phone to God, the, the smoke signals to God, the carrier pigeon, whatever, whatever you want to say. It's that communication link that we have between us and our Creator. That is what faith is for. And it says that Abraham had faith and that he was God's friend because of it. And so as we, we build up faith, the whole entire purpose of the building of our faith is so that we could hear more clearly from God for what he would say. Have you ever felt like you've heard from God? Have you ever felt like, wow, man, this is definitely God moving me right now or speaking to me. I have a, probably a, a few select instances where it just was like, whoa, that was intense and I'm listening. And other times I just feel small inclinations. But the thing is that the more that I pour myself into my faith and I try and get closer to Jesus, Jesus gets closer to us. Amen? Is that we see as we press into God, he draws closer to us. But here's the awesome thing is that um, God never tells you to do nothing, though. It's not like, Hello, Eric. This is God. And I'm here to deliver an important message. Do nothing. I mean, it just doesn't happen, right? I mean, if God is going to take the energy and communicate with you, it better be good, right? 
It's not like, hey, change the channel. I'm, I'm kind of bored with ESPN right now. I mean, if God's going to come into your life, if you're going to press into him and you're going to listen to him, you better expect some good things and some great things. Why do we expect when we press into the word and press into God, they were going to hear a bunch of mediocre, lame, boring things that make us just average? Why don't we go with the mindset that when we press into God, that God's going to reveal us and give us some amazing opportunities to show him that we are hearing? Because that's what Abraham did, right? Faith always has a counterpart. Faith and action. Faith and action. Faith and action. They always go together. Now, my, my buddy Sean showed me this awesome passage, and, and flip a few verses or pages to the, uh, to the right. Go to Hebrews 11. I just wanted to see if you can notice something here. This is verse 1 through 11. Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to, as we read through here, you'll notice faith and then an action. Faith and then an action. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand, everybody say understand, that the universe was formed at God's command so that when it is seen, not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered, everyone say offered, God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please, everyone say please, God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And by faith, he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place where he had later received as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country, and he lived in tents as Isaac and Jacob did. And it goes on and on and on. By faith and then in action. By faith and in action. So we, we, we come to grips with this, this principle that there's something in us in which we get to prove with our actions that we hear from God. Are you with me? That we hear, we have an opportunity for our actions to prove that we heard from God. We get to think about that. When we hear from God and we, we feel motivated and compelled, we have an opportunity. We get to prove I heard that. And when we do that, a couple things happen. One, you prove to God that the signal got to you. Two, he finds you faithful. Doesn't matter the outcome. And three, that he can entrust you with more. Right? I mean, if God is going to go to the effort to download some stuff to you and you pass it off, why would God be so inclined and happy to give you more and other stuff? I don't think that we ever run out of those experiences. But I think that God maybe is going to give some more opportunity to those who really take it and move with it. All right, verse 26. Oops, head back there. God bless you. All right, verse 26. <laughs> Only I found that funny. Um, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. As the body, this is the body of Christ, without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. 
Now, beyond all vital signs, what is the difference between someone who's living and someone who's dead? They're moving, they're doing, they're doing something. So we as the body of Christ, even though we have different strengths, abilities, passions, interests, we are called in our different parts to be moving and, and be advancing. And that's saying the Holy Spirit empowers us to do things that we know that we should do. Did you know that you can, you can love someone, but unless they know it, it doesn't matter? You hear me? Do you know that you can love someone, but unless they know it, it means nothing? It means nothing at all. We are meant for purposeful action. And that's what we're going to talk about real briefly now, is what, what does this all mean? And I want to give you three ideas that I want to redefine deeds and redefine the purpose of deeds. Redefine the action, if you will. If you have notes, you want to take it here, the, the, the three kind of main ideas for it. The first is deeds is less about doing and more about responding. It's less about doing and more about responding. And we respond because we have an accurate picture of Christ's love. We have an accurate picture of who Christ is in us and through us. Do you know that um, people always came to Jesus? Nowhere in the Bible did Jesus ever go chase down someone and says, Man, you're really in need of me, and uh, I'm going to help you. And he never did that. People came to Jesus in droves, in huge crowds, and all through the text it says he had compassion on them. He was moved with compassion. And every single time when someone came to Jesus, he was moved. And he responded. Jesus didn't go out and pick out his journey. He didn't go out and pick out his favorite sinners. No, they came to him. They made themselves available, and all that Jesus did was respond. And oftentimes in the smallest of ways. Do you realize that? Some of the, the most amazing interactions were just simply letting the tax collectors, the prostitutes, and all the sinners come near him. That was such a foreign concept. Is the, the thing that he would respond to just, I'll let you be my presence. And we need to start separating this idea that the deeds and the, the action that we're called to doesn't necessarily mean that we, we sell everything and we move to some third world country and go live and, and serve there. I mean, maybe that, that means it for you, but I think that maybe we put a little too much weight over in that area. And that we're, that we're forgetting that every single day, God has given us little opportunities to respond to him. And I would argue that the thousand little opportunities to respond in a year are far greater than the 20 years that could be lived in another country. If you were responding the way Jesus would respond to the needs and the, the people that would come around you, I bet you'd see so much more amazing things than that, just responding to the little things than doing the grandiose adventure. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that should never come in at the exclusion of us having a responsive attitude. We need to be responders, not planners. I know we do missions trips. The missions trips are awesome. They're great. But I think that maybe sometimes we think that our serving is for a season. And a lot of people are bummed, like, I can't go to the missions trip. I can't do this. That doesn't mean anything. I mean, I, I forget who told me, but they have like a sign above their door that says, warning, you're going out into the, the mission field. And that's kind of cool. Like every day when you leave your home, that you're going out in the mission field. Missions is an everyday kind of deal. And it doesn't need to be about bringing clean water, building homes, all those things. Those are, those are great, but I think that God has found the details of the smallest acts in which we can respond. The second is the deeds in action is about sharing Christ's love, not your service. 
Deeds is about sharing Christ's love, not your service. It's a nicer way to say it's not about you. It's not. Sorry to break it to you. The house you're building, the, the money you're, you're spending, wh- wh- whatever, it's not about you. If it's about you, you're, you're wrong and you should repent. Because it's all about Christ's love. Because Jesus said that they will know you by your what? Love. They will know you by your love. And we have a, a model framework that we know that we are God's temple. Christ dwells within us. We are no longer the old creation. We're the new creation. So our love is Christ's love. But that's problematic for a couple of reasons. Because in order to share Christ's love is that we need to know what Christ's love even is. And I would challenge many of you that I've lived a lot of my years not exactly knowing what Christ's love was. I lived a lot of my years knowing like how a Christian looks, talks, acts, says, carries a Bible. I don't know. I mean, I, I knew a lot about what it kind of looks like, but I don't think I really fully understood, understood the gravity of Christ's love until several years ago. And so for, in order for us to even do a kindful act of service, in order for us to even talk about deeds, the whole entire purpose is de- of deeds is Christ's love. If we don't know what Christ's love is, then we got a problem, don't we? I hear me is that we need to be able to understand Christ's love before we can be a representation of Christ's love. And uh, throughout the Bible, what are the two greatest commands? You remember what Jesus said? Love God, all your soul, strength, mind, heart, spirit, everything, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, there's three components in there, right? And in order, it's love God, love yourself, and love others as you love yourself. It kind of seems interesting because I don't think a lot of us have a whole big grasp on number one. We certainly don't have a big grasp on number two. And we're trying to put all the emphasis on number three because we think number three earns us some credit with God. We're trying to say, I think I earn the credit by loving my neighbor in a way that I don't fully understand. But maybe that will make me feel better about myself. I feel better about myself. Maybe God will feel better about me. Got it. No, it's the exact opposite. And anybody who's trying to do a work, a service, or trying to do something to earn God's favor has got it totally backwards. Can I redeem you from that pressure? Can I redeem you from the pressure to do good things because you think it'll make you feel good and make God love you? Hello? Anybody? Are you with me? Are you you getting that? Can can you see that, that God desires that you would know him so intimately and that you would know your identity and your value because loving yourself is not self-esteem. In fact, the Bible never puts self-esteem together. It says esteem others more than yourself. But there's a difference is that we are children of God and that we would know the value that we have because self-love is not the sinful way. It's, It's knowing the value to your father. And when you know the value to the Father, we know the eternal significance, we know the way that the Father's heart breaks for us, we know the compassion, the move on, on the Father's heart by our actions. And so when we have that value, we have that gravity, that now gives us the capacity to go love others in the same way because now we see others as God sees us. Is that making sense? So to do it backwards is completely opposite. It's like showing up to uh, a, a job site and having the wrong tool. I'm terrible at tools. And I, I don't know if you guys are at home, and, and uh, let's say you have something, and it's like, you know, well, I'll just get a knife and hammer it or something. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's literally like this. So you, you have, like, you know, a piece of wood, right? And there's a nail there. And I have two things. I have this hammer that's been molded and shaped, and I have this piece of metal, this big, heavy block. 
You know, they're made of the same material. The exact same material. About the same weight. About the same. But here's the difference is that this one has been molded and shaped. It knows its purpose. It knows its identity. Have you ever tried to bang in a nail with like a, a wrench or something? Or even like a block, you know, you can like try and hit it. I mean, it'll still kind of do the job, but it's nowhere as effective as this. In the same way, you are rendered completely ineffective if you're trying, if you're, if, if you're like this big hunk of metal that's still waiting to be shaped versus someone who knows their identity, knows their creation. And by the way, in order to get this metal into this, it takes a lot of heat, a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. I mean, like, this thing's been molded, been forged. This is the representation of what Christ wants us for deeds. He wants us to be fashioned into his purpose to do exactly what he wants us to do. But I think a lot of us, we sit here and we're just like this big, clunky, heavy piece, and we're just like, I don't know, it kind of don't work very well. I don't, you know, like, he wants us to be this. But until we can say, yeah, turn me from this to this, no matter what the pain, we're wasting our time undoing the deeds, because the deeds at that point become us about earning favor with God, and not because it's an outflow of our, our life. Making sense? This thing's heavy. Just kidding. How'd you feel? So, the last point is that sharing Christ's love does not mean strangers, service, or money. Can I hear an amen from that? Oh, fail. Can I hear an amen from that? Amen. I'm going to say it one more time. I don't know you heard me. Sharing Christ's love does not mean strangers, service, or money. Amen? Because we're broke. We don't like strangers either. And we sure don't like picking up things that are heavy, right? I just read your mind. You don't like any of those three things. You like your own friends. I like to sit in my house. And I'm broke, Right? And that, that doesn't describe 95% of you. I don't know what does. So I'm calling you out saying that service and deeds does not mean any of those things. It doesn't exclude any of those things. But the great news is that they don't necessarily mean those. And there, there's something kind of odd is that we, we th- when we think about sharing Christ's love, we automatically think about strangers. When we think about strangers, we think of like bad breath. Or we think about being uncomfortable. Or we think about awkwardness. Or whatever we think about. When we think about Christ's love, we think about things that we don't like or want to do or be a part of. And that's problematic because it's not really scripturally based for us. I, I find it kind of ironic as we talk about the whole love thing is that we're trying to imitate love to strangers when we don't do a very good job of loving the people we know. I find that troublesome. I don't know if that troubles you. But it kind of troubles me. And we, we need to feel that... Um, that God gives us a lot larger boundary to show his love, to show, to be that representation of his love. Remember, Galatians, that we've been going through this, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the fruit of the Spirit. We've been going back and forth to this verse, back and forth to all that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Nowhere is service mentioned or money. So we need to completely twist our, our thinking that thinking that action, putting our faith into works and, and deeds means anything about service or money. The greatest demonstrations of Christ's love can come from the smallest things. You look at that list, 
How can I show kindness? How can I show goodness? How can I bring joy to someone's life? How can I do these like small, small things? Again, Jesus always started with the small responses to somebody to kind of brighten who they are. Jesus never went and built a house. You know, he never, we never see him donating money. I don't know that makes you feel better. It makes me feel a lot better, you know? Because I kind of feel a little lazy sometimes. I don't know. It's just like God's saying, man, I give you so many opportunities to respond to me through other people by simple acts of affirmation, encouragement, prayer, anything. And it's so easy for you to do. So I have an idea tonight, if I can share with you. Because I think that our generation, our community, is so void of us doing anything because maybe we've pigeonholed ourselves that we've identified that, you know, putting our faith into action means all those difficult things. Is I want to do something tonight where we're going to send off 100 blessings tonight. Let's send off 500 blessings tonight. We're going to be the extension of deeds right now from this room to other people out that aren't here. You know how we're going to do that? Everyone's got a cell phone, right? Pull out your cell phone. On your table, there's probably five envelopes. If you don't have a cell phone, I'm sorry. Um, So here's what I want to do. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. There's so many awesome things. Can we do something nice for somebody else right now? Can we spend five minutes right now? Just five minutes. If someone's watching online at home, I would do this too. Spend five minutes. I want you to text somebody who's not in this place a random encouragement, a random like, man, you're stinking awesome, and I really appreciate you. Mom, Dad, wow, you've done so much for my life, and I just realize right now that I have not done a very good job of affirming you. I realize I've not confirmed, you know, my love for you, or whatever it is. Can we, can we just send five text messages right now? If you can't think of five, maybe we can talk about that together somewhere else. I don't know. But I just want to, I want to see, like, what would happen when us, I mean, we, we look at good intentions, right? But good intentions are bull. Because good intentions only gets us to the wanting to, but not the actual doing. So since we're all so ADD, is I want to spend five minutes right now. I'll give you dedicated time. And I just want you to send whatever encouraging thoughts, words, encouragement. That one person being like, man, I've really been meaning to show them that I really care for them. Can we do that here for five minutes? When was the last time you went to a service and they told you to text message, huh? Isn't it like the opposite? Put that phone away. (laughs) I love this. Using the word love is strongly encouraged as well. In case you need a little help. I know this might be highly uncomfortable for some of us.
maybe if you haven't seen someone that's normally a part of this community or part of a church you go to or a group, if you haven't seen them in a long time, I bet they could use a little reach out, a little love right now. Also, if you are the writing type and you want to write in a card, there are cards on the table. You can do that. You can write a note. You can drop it off someplace. You can mail it. So all that stuff's there. So no one should have any excuse for why we can't demonstrate Christ's love tonight. It's a reminder. How you feeling? A couple more minutes? It's good.
And the responses start coming in, right? <laughs> now, if you asked a girl out, that was not the pr- purpose of tonight. So <laughs> I know someone is like, oh, this is a great excuse. I was told to text somebody. That doesn't count. <laughs> Raise your hand if you sent more than five. More than five. Six, seven, eight. Raise your hand if you sent less than five. Maybe <laughs> you sent nothing at all. <laughs> no. Just think about it. We just sent out from here a representation of Christ's love. It can happen through text messages. It can happen through a little piece of paper. Is that we have good intentions to do, to do good things, but when it really comes down to it, many of us just put it out as a back burner, as a low priority. Now what if, I want to challenge you, what if you put it in your calendar that every Monday, every Thursday, every Friday, you put in your calendar to text one person one encouraging thing? That'd be cool. What if every one of us did that? Because what, we're, what I want us to find is that our simple words, our affirmation, can totally rock somebody's world. If you go home tonight, maybe throw something on someone's Facebook wall. That always makes someone feel good when it's on, kind of they, their friends get to see it. That's totally fine. Do it. We need to, to reset our minds and get it out of the boxes that showing Christ's love and putting our faith into action goes far beyond swinging a hammer, building a rock, digging a trench, all those different things. Did I say building a rock? I don't, I'm sorry. Building a house. You know what? You get the idea. <laughs> building a rock would be sweet, though. But I want us to, to know that if we are going to be world changers, we need to be able to change someone's world. And who knows? Maybe tonight when that text message arrived to somebody's phone, maybe they were in such a need to hear some love. Such a need to be affirmed. You have no idea what just went out. I love that. Because God is going to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And if we all just text message people love, I, I just I wonder the things that we'd see change around us. And so I think that would be the first small step for us to move forward into having our ability to respond to greater opportunities. As the needs come up, as the opportunities come up, all that I'm asking for you is to respond as Christ would. That doesn't mean money. That doesn't mean necessarily service. It doesn't exclude those things. But there's a whole lot of things in which we can do with that. So why don't we all stand and we'll sing and and close this out. Father, we love you, Lord. We love you how you make it so simple, Lord, for us to share a little bit about you to others. God, I pray that we would have the recognition that every single great leader, every single person who's contributed to molding and shaping the world did it one person at a time. Jesus, you did it with 12. Jesus, you poured your life into 12 people loving them and simply responding to strangers for fleeting moments. And Jesus, you changed the world. God, we love to look at Mother Teresa, at Martin Luther King. We love to look at these amazing people who have done amazing things. But Lord, may we be impressed that the first step to becoming a Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, whoever it is, is that it would start with one person at a time. 
Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities this week to respond. Lord, that you would rewire our minds to rethink about service, about acts, and about action, about deeds and work, and all that stuff. Lord, we don't want serving you to be a labor. Lord, it should be filling us with joy. And so, Lord, I pray tonight, if we need to encounter the love of Jesus, Lord, that you would just let that invade our existence. God, if there's anything that we get out tonight, Lord, it's just that we would accurately feel the gravity of how we are loved by you. Because unless we do that, we are just a tool that is useless. Lord, we want to be molded, shaped, formed for your liking, for your purpose, to be used by you and to be used mightily by you, Lord. We don't want the mediocre life, God. We want the best of the best of the best. Would you do that? in us tonight, Lord. We just thank you, Lord, for your word and how awesome you are. God, because you are awesome. Move our butts to action, Lord. Do whatever you need to do, Lord. We thank you. We praise you for it, Lord, and we sing these praises to you, Lord, the author, the perfecter of our faith that enables us and empowers us. In Jesus' name, amen.